Welcome y bienvenidos to About Consent, the podcast that sparks conversations about creating consent culture, boundary repair, sexual empowerment, orgasm equality, and raising a new sexually conscious and consent-empowered generation. This is a safe, shame-free, judgment-free zone where both survivors and those who support survivors are welcome. I'm your host, Rosalia Rivera. This week, we are diving into how to create consent culture. And with me is Sarah Casper of Comprehensive Consent, who is all about this conversation and all about how we create consent culture starts with the practices that we implement in our home. How can we do that? How can we make it a conversation that's fun, that isn't heavy, that is not specifically about sex so that we can be talking to our kids about it on a regular basis, make it part of our parenting style. We're diving into all of that today. I think you're going to love it. So uh, it's just if you're not familiar with Sarah, let me introduce you. So Sarah Casper is a consent educator and the founder of Comprehensive Consent. And she helps parents give their children a foundational understanding of relationships, body boundaries, and practical consent skills that they need to create healthy partnerships with others throughout their life. Her degree in psychology and clinical work at NYU Child Study Center and at Rutgers Community Clinic inform the content she teaches. The heart of her work, though, is rooted in years of acro yoga, an acrobatic practice that is only made possible through healthy communication and consent. I think you're going to love this episode because we talk about nuances. We talk about how rape culture is perpetuated. We talk about the long term, like how kids learning this now can impact them when they're off in the world and building their own relationships so that they can have healthy relationships that are safe, fun, and also really communicative. Imagine that. People who have healthy communication can have healthy relationships. And that's really ultimately what we want for our kids. So beyond abuse prevention, which I, of course, always talk about, consent is really at the heart and foundation of dismantling rape culture, creating better relationships for people and better communication. And doesn't that sound like something we all would like to see in the world? So without further ado, here's my conversation with Sarah Casper. I think you're going to love it. Sarah, I am so excited that you're here. We're, I think we're both consent nerds, <laughs> so this is an exciting conversation for me, but I think it will be for the audience as well. Thanks so much for making the time to be here today. I'm so glad to be here. I think you know that consent nerds, there are not many people in this world who I feel like I could just jump on a conversation with, with not much prep and know that we're going to get deep into the heart of consent. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And as I was mentioning to you before we hit record, um, there's so many layers to this conversation. I, I really wanted to um, tr really try to get to the heart of it because it's so layered. It's so nuanced. Um, and people really, I think, just don't get it. Uh, you know, when we're talking about creating consent culture, what that really actually means. So I really want to dive into some of those aspects today. Um, but I want to start with really getting to the meat and potatoes of this misconception that a lot of parents have that they think that they've got the consent conversation covered because they're like, well, I don't make my child hug or kiss anyone. So done. We're good. Right. Um, and that is certainly important. I'm glad parents are doing that. So kudos to those people who are doing it. But I certainly don't want anyone to feel like they've covered all the bases just from that, right? Um, it will certainly be a starting point, but it's so far from everything that we need to be teaching kids. And I would love to pick your brain about why it's important to practice this as a skill building parenting shift even like 
adding this into your parenting as part of how you interact with your kids daily, you know, beyond like how they hug or kiss someone, how is, you know, can you talk to why it's so important that we practice this as, as often as possible and as, you know, finding opportunities. And if we don't find opportunities, how to make opportunities happen um, so that our kids realize that this is not just about, um, you know, affection or, or physical interactions with grandparents or family, you know, members, but in all areas of their life. What do you think? Oh, uh, I, the listeners can't see, but I was nodding this entire time. <laughs> Uh, it's, I always think about what's called the knowing doing gap. You know, how many of us know to eat, uh, you know, what is it like eight servings of vegetables a day or drink that many glasses of water. And it doesn't mean that we do it. However, when we start to do it, the more we do it. Mm -hmm. So knowing isn't really enough. So again, it's a good starting point to know the information that you need to drink eight glasses of water a day is absolutely the starting point to know that you don't have to hug grandma is the starting point. But then if you're not practicing fully body bodily autonomy, or you're not fully practicing like wellness and care for yourself, then it becomes really hard to practice it when you're outside of that exact situation. Um, so practice is, is key. And it's, it's not just practice of yeses and nos, because that's not how it looks in the real world. Mm-hmm. I know personally, how many times have I been asked, like, can I have a kiss? Like, it doesn't always go like that. There's body language. There's like, you look beautiful. And then the head moves in and like, it's so much more nuanced than just, um, these cookie cutter situations. So it's really about embodying consent fully. Yeah. And there's, and there's so few examples, you know, I I was just saying before that I watched your Instagram uh, interview with Michelle Meek. um, And I'll link that in the show notes for anyone who wants to catch that because it was a really great interview and and talking about media's role in depicting these things. They're absent, right? So kids, if we're not talking to them about it, they're watching media consuming what they believe is the norm. And having no reference of examples to say, how can we do this in a way that uh, feels more natural and becomes a normal conversation instead of this awkward, like, you're, you're not cool if you ask, or, you know, ha- what are some other ways that we can have this communication happen, right? Um, so w- my other question too was, when parents feel stuck, right, and they think, well, I don't really know because it wasn't, you know, like I just said, it wasn't modeled for them. They didn't see examples in the media. Um, I feel like we're almost starting from ground zero because just there's no information, enough information out there, even for adults to know how to teach their kids about it, right? Which is obviously why we do the work that we do. Um, But even when I'm looking for how to help parents. Like I'm only mostly finding stuff that's really for little kids. That's like abuse prevention related. And so that's great, obviously important stuff, but then those nuances, right. Is what I love so much about your work. Um, You've opened my eyes to so many things just from the reels that you do of like, you know, having these, these shifts in understanding, right. Um, Can you give some examples, you know, just to kind of make it more tangible for those who are listening? Like, what does she mean nuances? Like, can you explain what that sounds like and, and, and applies in the real world? There are many nuances. Um, The ones that I tend to really focus on, especially because I teach consent within this power dynamic because it's parent and child and parent has resources and access and knowledge and makes the rules and child for the most part doesn't. And that's, and that's a good thing. You know, (laughs) parents need to be able to uh, make sure their child has healthy development and, and is safe, but it's also about as someone who has power, giving them power. And that's a nuance. So it's not that all situations are created equal. Again, that easy yes, no, 
sometimes you're working within a framework of, again, for, for kids who are a little bit older, like popularity can be something where like, let's talk about it because saying no to someone who is popular is harder. Mm-hmm. Saying no to someone who you like is harder. You talk about this in abuse prevention, you know, all the time that saying, you know, I'm going to hurt whoever hurts you isn't helpful because often we like those people. And so there's nuances like you feel like you owe someone and no one said you owe, but there's this just this like reciprocity that's human nature. And what do you do about that? How do you think about the difference between being assertive and being mean and mm-hmm. or aggressive? And so that is just, you know, we can focus in on any one of those in particular, but that's just a handful of ways that consent is more nuanced than just you don't have to hug grandma. Yeah. Yeah. Just an example that um, popped into my head from a recent, you know, home life interaction situation was that um, one of my kids was trying to convince the other kid to play a multiplayer video game together and the other child didn't want to. And they kept trying to push, you know, and We've talked in the past, you know, so this is where it gets really interesting is we've talked in the past of like, you know, um, don't give up, you know, and make sure that you're, you know, really trying different ways to make something happen. And here's my child, like trying to apply that, but also not listening to that person's no. And so them trying to reconcile, like I was told to keep going after my dreams and my dream is to like play this multiplayer game. but my my brother is saying no so how do i you know and so this is where as a parent you can step in and say like you have to also you know when it's you going after your dream and it's not necessarily involving you know other people's consent about how they're going to interact with you then here's how that applies and it and that that was an opportunity to talk about that right so a lot of times we tend to think that it always has to be this Uh, situation where there's like affection or, you know, but like when I'm trying to teach about consent, it's also not just like protect yourself and your body and body safety rules, but also like learning to read body cues from someone else and facial, you know, cues. And when someone says no, um, you know, do you ask why or, you know, how does that conversation then go? Because you could ask why and you could say, well, what is it about that that you don't want to do instead of just like, oh, okay, like hands off, right? Because then you're also cutting off that communication. Um, So there are these, you know, when we talk about nuances, just like you said, like there's so many parts to it that we can help our children become critical thinkers about so that when they get older, it doesn't feel like that awkward conversation. It's like, okay, so what I'm understanding that you're saying is this versus like feeling shut down and like, oh no, what did I do? You know what I mean? So I think like we really, it it comes down to teaching kids about communication um, through this word consent um, that has implications of physical boundaries and mental boundaries, spiritual boundaries, sexual boundaries, right? Like all of these other parts. So my, I guess my other question to you was when we are looking to teach this to kids, right? And parents are like, okay, this sounds like, like we're opening up a can of worms here. Um, how do you help parents kind of feel more at ease about how they can do this? Because I certainly don't want people to go, oh my God, like this is, <laughs> this is like a whole new way of thinking. And I don't know if I can, like, I don't even know if I practice it in my own life. So what do you say to parents who are a little bit intimidated by it that feel like, you know, maybe I'll leave this to when they're older and, and we'll make it about sex, sexual consent instead, right? Because that seems to be like when parents are sort of going to have the talk, maybe they'll have the talk about consent then. When should parents be starting this and, and how, do, how can they step into it with ease and move forward? Yeah. uh, Perfection does not exist in consent. I'm a consent educator and I make boundary and consent mistakes. And, And that's where accountability comes in. And it's actually really great for you to make mistakes because it gives you an opportunity to model what do you do when that happens. 
So it can feel like a lot of information and it's about starting somewhere, playing with it, seeing where your strengths are, what clicks automatically, where um, you realize, you know, you may have some work to do, where your child might be kind of uh, mirroring you and you notice you need to work on something that they need to work on also. It's not a, all right, do this and get it right. It's about communication and communication also will always include miscommunication. So I think that's a really big piece of it. And the other piece of it is that it's a, the communication is a relating pattern. So you're teaching them now, whether you realize it or not. So they're seeing right now how you relate to, you know, hearing them put out boundaries and how you cross them. And they're seeing, oh, you know, that's, that's something that's done and mom's doing it or dad's doing it or whoever's doing it. And I, they are the role model. So it must be okay. Mm -hmm. And then in the future that can look like a them modeling that and kind of crossing boundaries for other relationships or thinking it's normal for other people to cross their boundaries. So it's really about empowering children to, to step into that communication and, and into that miscommunication and navigate and practice that before the stakes are higher. Yeah. I love that you said that before too. And and I remember hearing that in the past, it was like, that's exactly it. It's like, let's help them practice this in a low stakes environment um, where mistakes are okay, because that's how you learn. And it, it also is about this idea of pulling away from getting it perfect and not failing at something. These are just ways to learn. They're just ways that you can see what is working, what's not working and to help you learn from your, like how you were brought up. Right. Cause I think a lot of us were raised in homes that were either, you know, maybe on the scale of one to 10, they were some way, shape or form authoritarian, right? Because it was like, you were still to some degree being told what to do. And in some severe cases, it was like, you didn't even have a voice at all, right? It was like, you just do what you're told and that's it. And in some cases you had some voice, but you were still not really taught how to set your own boundaries. Um, and, you know, I know that because you, you know, you have the boundary boot camp, like that's a big part of for parents learning how to, you know, really learn how to set their own boundaries, you know, particularly for survivors. Um, that's a really big issue, right? And if you don't feel comfortable setting your own boundaries, like you said before, you're teaching them without realizing that you're teaching them how not to have boundaries because you have to be able to practice them, model it, give them the language but you have to do that work yourself. And it can be so empowering. I just, you know, always stress that to people. Like when you start doing this work, you will be amazed at your own personal transformation through doing this work to teach yourself so that you can teach your children. And your relationships really shift. They can they can change in really positive ways. You may find that you lose some relationships because they don't want you to set the boundaries that you're now setting. And that's okay too. Like for those who are listening, who are like afraid of losing certain people in their life, sometimes it's okay to let those relationships go because it's, it's really kind of testing, like who really respects and loves you because they're, you know, wanting to respect and and honor your boundaries. So what about for those who I mean, I, you know, obviously to me, it's like find someone who can guide you, right? If you feel like this is so out of your scope of understanding how to step into this, that's where, you know, someone like yourself or myself or like so many people who um, are doing the work of boundaries. You know, I know a lot of therapists talk about boundaries all the time. And that's a little bit hard sometimes when you're um, just trying to resolve stuff from your past. We're talking also about how to create those changes for now and going forward, not just reflecting on your past. Um, so I love that you have that workshop. What, how do you teach adults to do that? Because really when we're teaching them how to teach kids, we're really teaching adults how to do that. So what, when someone signs up for your program, like what are some of the first things that you teach them or talk about for them to even think about to start creating better boundaries in their life? 
Yeah. Um, I don't know if you ever heard this idea growing up, but it was uh, whenever I would study for tests, my mom would say, if you can teach it to someone, it means you know the information. So uh, boundary setting boot camp isn't just, you know, me giving information to parents. It's giving some information to parents and then giving a bunch of activities and a bunch of discussion questions and then saying, now go practice this with mm-hmm. your child and see what comes up because that will help you work out what's going on in your mind more than me talking about it. You know, I can only talk about it so much. You need like the baseline information and then you need to go out into the world and practice it like we've been talking about and and see what comes up. Yeah, I think that's what it, it's it's practicing. It's practice what you preach. It's if we're telling kids that they have the the right to set boundaries, then are are you setting boundaries? And when you say to your child that they can set boundaries, when they do, what is your reaction? Yeah, <laughs> and 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 calling it out, saying, "Ooh, I had like a hard time with that," and bringing awareness to that. I mean, that's the beginning of. Uh, like any 12 step program is like mm-hmm. realize that something's going on and then slowly working to fix it because I think we're really um, trained to look for those like two-step solutions and those easy quick fixes but it it's breaking down so many years of relating and and making changes to that you know you had you had made a point earlier which which I want to circle back to that's related to this is accountability, right? Um, there's a lot of accountability that happens when we start to teach this. And like you said, the child set a boundary and you realize that you actually had a hard time with it and acknowledging that, right? And and being accountable for how you responded to that and then making a change or repairing the situation to say, you know, this is still new to me. I'm. I know that I said this, you know, about body autonomy. Let's talk about it. Now, obviously, for those listening who have really young children, these are conversations you can't yet have, um, but you will get to them, right? And the more that we can start as early as possible, the easier it's going to be for you to have those conversations with your child because they'll have a reference point. But if you're starting and your your kids maybe eight or nine and they're they're, you know, you're both new to this. Just remind yourself that this is a process, just like Sarah was saying, it's you're not going to be perfect. And that's not the goal either, um, ever. It's really about teaching them how to have those open communications and be accountable because they will make mistakes with others, right? And they will realize, oh, just like my mom realized that she, you know, made a mistake and apologized or made herself accountable. And then we were able to talk it through and resolve that conflict. That is so golden for, you know, I always tell people like project into the future. If your child is eight now, what are they, what are the skills they're going to bring into adulthood 10 years from now, right? They're going to be 18 going off into the world. What kind of communication skills do they have? for all kinds of relationships, not just their romantic relationships, but even with, you know, staff, like colleagues that they work with or, you know, students that they're in class with, like how much healthier is that communication going to be and how much safer will the relationships that they get into be because you've taken those steps when they were really young to make the effort of shifting to a different kind of parenting um, dynamic, you know, which is so different from probably how we were raised. Right. And, and we're trying to break those cycles. I, I think a lot about, um, how we kind of spoke, like society spoke about race just 20 years ago. It was like, we don't talk about it and we'll just like, say like everyone's equal and then it'll be fine as opposed to like not talking about it is also a way of talking about it. And, and I mean, I have a specific interest in like in, in social justice and restorative justice. And so that's probably why it comes up for me, but I really think that there's, there's something there to that of not, yeah, not talking about it is talking about it. And how do you, and you're going to make mistakes. I grew up in, you know, 
without consent and within in an all white neighborhood. And I am still, I am always going to be working through all of that. And I'm not just exempt from it because it's new to me. I need to hold myself accountable and it gets easier. And in terms of accountability also, I want to mention that part of accountability is like those apologies and, and talking through it. And another part of it also is then what's your next step? So sometimes you don't have the um, the ability to make the apology because let's say something happened, you know, on the street and then you realize when you walk away that it was a problem and you can't go back, not going to run back and apologize. But that kind of accountability can still exist in maybe journaling about what happened and, and taking personal steps to reduce the chances that it happens again. So mm-hmm. when, you know, we cross a child's boundary, if they're two years old and really can't have that conversation in a big way you can still hold yourself accountable in a positive way. This episode is brought to you by Consent Parenting, my online platform for survivor parents to learn how to keep their kids safe from abuse. Did you know that children of survivor parents have a five times higher chance of being abused because survivor parents don't know or learn the tools needed to prevent abuse? They tend to overprotect instead of empower and prepare. You can change the statistics by becoming an educated parent. Get started by downloading my free guide, Seven Ways to Teach Your Kids About Body Safety, Boundaries, and Consent by going to aboutconsent.com forward slash guide. The link will be in the show notes to get your free copy today. Now let's get back to the show. It's interesting when parents say, well, I can't practice that with my baby, um, you know, when I'm changing their diaper and they're crying and I feel terrible because I want to respect their body autonomy, but I also have to do this thing. And part of that in terms of accountability can look like acknowledging their discomfort and understanding that I know that you don't really want to do this right now and it probably really is uncomfortable or your bum is cold because I'm changing you and it's, you know, whatever it is. And, and just even having that communication to, you know, facially express what you're doing gently, you know, try as best as you can to, to have that interaction happen and just acknowledging that you understand what they're feeling, right? Even that, as you move into their different stages of life, that beginning piece of, I'm seen and heard for what I'm also going through and expressing um, has a really big impact, right? And that's a, an initial way that we can start to, to even do that from just such a young age. Um, and, and that evolves, right? So this is why I always say to parents, like, start as early as possible, because really it's just you practicing and training yourself. Just like for a lot of parents, they're uncomfortable saying the correct anatomical words for genitalia. And I would say, if you practice it with your baby before they have any kind of reaction or response, which will probably not even be the response you think, because that's in your head. But if you practice this ahead of time, you know, when they're they're infants, it will be so much easier by the time that they have to like mirror those words back to you. So, you know, I just always want to say for anyone, it doesn't matter where you start, but if you can start as early as possible, do it. But if you feel like you're you're your child is like, you know, into their tweens and you're like completely uncomfortable with, you know, how to talk about this, which again, I want to bring it back to consent does not have to be a conversation about abuse prevention. It actually is just a conversation about rights and autonomy and how to communicate, right? Those interactions. Let's talk a little bit, we're going to switch gears and talk a little bit about um, media, because after uh, listening to that uh, interview that you did with Michelle Meek again, I was really fascinated by the fact that that um, even to this day, you know, with teen movies, um, you had talked about the fact that there's been a role reversal, right? Because usually it was the male, you know, in, in a heteronormative relationship, which are typically what's shown in media, movies and stuff for teens, even. Um, it was always the male that was the aggressor and, you know, trying to do conquest. And if the girl, um, you know, said no, that there was always this sort of 
aggressive, like, how do I convince her or coerce her, right? So it's sort of this fine line of when when it becomes coercion or when it becomes uh, just persuasion. But now the role has been changed where I think uh, media is trying to say, well, you know, women can do that too. And we're just as whatever. And it actually is the same message, but just flipped. And, you know, it kind of makes my blood boil because it's like, that's not helping either. (laughs) That's not, we're not trying to uh, say any kind of coercion is okay. Any kind of, you know, this kind of uh, unrelenting aggression is okay. Um, Can you talk about what you think parents should say when they see that kind of media? Like how, you know, for me, I think media literacy is where it's at in terms of how kids can understand what they're seeing and the examples. Because, you know, when we even talk about uh, pornography, and the fact that there is lack of communication there, I think a lot of times they're getting those messages from that too, because unfortunately um, kids are not being educated about the fact that pornography is really just adult entertainment that is unrealistic. And so they see that as sex ed. What kinds of conversations can they have or should they be having to help them understand those kinds of scenarios? There are two things that that I can offer here. Um, the first is I'm I think it was I heard this originally from Nadine Thornhill, but I'm not positive. The idea of like watching the Fast and the Furious to learn how to drive, and like watching pornography to learn like what sex is about. It's like no, this is this is a heightened version of it for entertainment purposes, and I think that analogy just clicks with kids. Mm -hmm. um with kids and teens and it's just like you know this is fake and kind of like bringing it up um as as a comparison so you're not even like you don't even need to necessarily like talk about the exact scene that they're having but just like in general it's entertainment it's it's big it's it's over the top Um, so that's, I think a first, like a helpful mindset. And then the second thing is I always like to think of the question, and this is where, um, I think consent and pleasure come together, which is, are you doing it for you? Are you doing it for them? So the difference between coercion and like explaining what you were thinking and where you're coming from is explaining where you're coming from can come from a place of you might be missing some information and I want to give you all the information so you can make an empowered choice. Whereas coercion is, I really want this. So I'm going to like repeat the question again and try to like make something seem like less big of a deal. Some things seem like more big of a deal, like more of a deal so that I get what I want. Mm -hmm. Whereas if you're really thinking about the other person, it's not going to be coercion. Um, so I think in movies, it's in TV, it can be pretty clear whether the person is trying to give the, uh, the their partner information or whether they're trying to trick or deceive them. And that can also be um, a conversation topic. Yeah. So just to give an example, if you're watching um, something where the guy is trying to kiss the girl and it looks like you know, he's not really asking, he's just kind of going in for the kiss and she's a little apprehensive and then he kisses her anyway. Um, Would you at that point, like point that out and say, that's an interesting way to go about, you know, kissing someone. Does that feel like something that you would be comfortable doing or, or being done to you, you know, and kind of posing it like that? Is that what you're saying to just raise that, um, topic either before or after the scene or I mean sometimes it can be like I think parents get uncomfortable even if their kids are watching a scene like that but you know they're so common and I just feel like there are opportunities for us to have those conversations and and they don't always have to even be um sexual you know like as as an example with my own kids uh they were watching Harry Potter and the teacher like hit them on the head because they weren't paying attention or something in class and my son was like, that's not okay, you know? And I was like, yes, <laughs> so, so happy that he was the one who pointed it out where I would normally have pointed it out in the past. And, you know, if they didn't pick up on it, 
um, you know, I would later at dinner say something like, did you notice that in the movie, so-and-so did something and the other person like, didn't actually like, what did you think about that? Right. And just like bringing it up as an opportunity when it has nothing to do with like, it's still a consent situation. Right. But it had nothing to do with sex. You always say, you know, bring it back to like, it does not have to be about sex. It does not have to be about romantic situations. It can be just in general, bringing awareness to relationship dynamics in whatever that is. Yeah. And it, it works so well with kids for like, I think of like a play date situation too, where um, one child wants to play with one game and the other child wants to play with the other game. And it's, are you really collaborating and creating a situation where both of you are happy and both of you feel good? Or is one person trying to get the other person on their side? It comes up all the time. And right. Sometimes the other person's missing information and that's different than coercion, but it's totally not about, yeah, totally not about sex. It's about communication. And so for, for those movie examples, yeah, I think that's exactly right. You can talk about like, oh, what do you think about the movie? And just start broad, you know, and then get into what did you notice about this? Did you, what would you have done? Do you think that they were enjoying themselves? What makes you think that? Mm -hmm. uh, and get into deeper conversations there about those, again, those nuances. Yeah, I think that's what it, it, a lot of this comes back to is those nuances that we don't realize if we were to step back and look at our own relationships day to day, um, you know, what are those things that we're overlooking that are actually great examples for our kids to, um, to look at or understand, or even like for ourselves to say, wait a minute, like, that actually, you know, didn't make me feel that great. And you know what, maybe I should have spoken up or, or I felt like that person should have known what I was thinking because of the way I looked at them, you know, and, and we have these assumptions that we make and it really is just comes back to how we're communicating. And, and I think a lot of this is learning how to communicate all over again, you know, because you know, as kids, we were a lot of times sort of made to feel like, you know, you're to be seen and not heard. And so we lost the ability to really communicate or we're in class and we have an idea that we wanted to share and we were shut down. And so there's this huge breakdown in communication. Um, you know, unless you took a course in, you know, college, I think people just don't have great communication skills that end up getting them in a lot of trouble. And you had um, actually brought a, a really great book to my attention, which was all about this, right? It was the Columbia University um, study at, what was the name of the book again? Sexual Citizens. Um, Sexual Citizens, yeah. And then, and so that that's an amazing book because it explains exactly that. Like a lot of teens are going off into the world not knowing how to communicate what they want or what they don't want, right? So on the part of the, teens who did not think that they were doing anything wrong and thought that they had, you know, had explained or somebody said, yeah, I want to go to your place. And to that other person that meant, okay, so they're willing to get in bed with me. And that's not what that person was actually, you know, communicating. There is just like, okay, you see the massive breakdown in how kids don't know how to communicate with each other. And if we're not teaching that at home, then they're going off into the world. Like, with ideas in their head that are not accurate because they don't know how to verbalize it or, you know, and I mean, for me, I, I went off into the world, not knowing that consent could be withdrawn. You know, I was taught like, you know, you, you say one thing and then you have to follow through no matter what, you know, and that is even something that I've realized with my kids. Like, you know, I, we always teach them, if you're going to promise something, you have to keep your word. And then later it's like, well, what if I regret that promise? <laughs> like what, what then? Right. And so if we don't give our kids these, again, nuances of understanding, like how those things can, can roll out, uh, you know, we're just doing a disservice to them. And so I, I just think it's so important. What else did you uh, glean from that book? Cause I thought that was just an amazing book. And I know that you were diving into some of that. What, what else did you um, realize from reading that about how kids are missing or the mark or parents are missing the mark on how to teach these communication, you know, uh, skills around relationships and communicating consent. And, you know, when it does actually apply to 
sexual interactions? Something that I thought that was, I was not expecting was um, how many people, how many students in that study was, it was, they studied, I'm forgetting the number, but a lot of Columbia University and Barnard students. And when they were talking to them and they would ask a question of, so at what point did you get consent or something, a question like that, that students were kind of stunned that they didn't have an answer. And then on their own, were coming to this conclusion of, I never got consent. I might have sexually assaulted someone. And this is someone that they're on fine terms with, and they're still accepted by their friend group. And they realize that they just followed what they saw in the movies and on TV and just went with the flow. And now looking back on it, they were stunned and in a lot of pain, actually. They had, I remember the the researchers um, spoke about how they had therapists kind of on standby for survivors so that if after sharing their story, they felt like they needed to talk to someone that they were supported. And what they ended up seeing was that survivors were often empowered by sharing their stories and that the people who needed the therapists nearby were the people who realized that they did something that they, that they did something that they are horrified by and they didn't realize what they were doing until now. It's, it becomes really hard to talk about consent and preventing sexual assault and preventing boundary crossings when we talk about it as if it's something that only bad people do hmm. because that's just not true. Sexual assault, as, as I see it defined, is making a sexual advance on someone without their consent. And I've definitely been kissed before without, you know, my consent. I've probably also kissed someone without their consent. That's a that's a tricky pill to swallow, but it's important to, because then we can talk about it as something that really everyone needs to address and not these people who are just intentionally committing horrific acts. So many people are unconsciously doing it because they're, they're taught of rape as something that is, you know, committed by someone who lurks in the shadows and that's yeah. just not true. So that was... That was a really interesting piece of consent that it's not just about talking about how to say no and put boundaries, but how to really ask, because it's clear from the study that's something that a lot of teens are struggling with. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And I um, I think I, I put somewhere, I can't remember where now, but I had posted something related to a statistic um, that had come out and I was really upset and I had made a reel saying like, how is this possible? And someone um, tried to make it political. And I had put up uh, a video, a report basically of when Trump had made his very famous comment of, you know, grab him by the expletive. And then also how the fact that, uh, you know, Joe Biden had also been accused of um, sexual assault, right? And I said, the conversation here is really not about politics. It's, you know, this is a really a bipartisan issue in the US and really anywhere in the world. It's not about who's in power and, and going to put money towards this or not. It's really about a conversation of rape culture and how what my goal is, is not just to educate my children about prevention so that they keep themselves safe, but so that they also don't become the abuser intentionally or unintentionally. You know, that's really at the heart of this, you know, teaching kids is that it is, it goes both ways, you know, and I have one child who consistently has to be reminded because they will have, they have no problem telling other people like, you know, my body, my rules, like they were in the hospital, at, you know, one day, like with a cut on their head and a nurse came over and like put his hand on his knee to like, Hey buddy, are you okay? And my son's like, don't touch me. <laughs> like you don't have permission. And it's like, you have a gash in your head and you're still, you know, vocalizing this, which is great, but you know, um, but it's, he's also the first one to say, Oh, I forgot that I'm supposed to ask. Right. And he's constantly crossing a boundary with someone and I have to remind him. And I, you know, so this is always in the front of my mind, like, 
yeah, I want him to be safe and protect himself, but I also want him to make sure he's respecting the rights of others and knows how to communicate in a way that is not coercive. It's not to say, well, I asked and I didn't hear no, right? So that's also just as important. And we can only really empower our kids to do that through that practical practice, you know, that we can do every day. And that's what I really love about your work is that you bring it back to that. Like, let's teach kids in these practical, low risk, non-sexual ways about communication and make it fun too, right? It's part of what I really like about your work too, is that you're like, we're not, you know, going to sit down and have like a Harvard lecture about this. We're actually going to make it fun and practice it in a way that kids get it, you know? Yeah. So I, I really love that about your work. Thank you. I love it about my work too. <laughs> Um, and with, with kids, uh, that's such a great point because kids have impulse control issues. Their prefrontal cortex isn't developed. So they will, you know, <laughs> cross those boundaries even more. And it's not about scolding them. You know, it's, it's about did, did you at, like helping them think through how they got to that place mm-hmm. and doing repair where they need to, or working on how to do better the next time. Um, because consent isn't supposed to be this like scary thing. It like allows you to touch and to cuddle and to get all those good things. We just have to do it in a way that empowers everyone. And I was thinking about when you were uh, talking about like the rape culture, um, there's an author, Dan Heath, who says every system is perfectly designed to get the results that it gets. That completely resonates with me of if you're looking at someone and saying, you know, how did they become this way? It's, there's a reason. And it's not on necessarily like the parent, it's on the parent plus the school, plus the culture, plus the siblings, plus the everything that, that gets that result. And so we really need to disrupt that system. Yeah. And I mean, this is how we do it. We, we start these conversations, we practice these skills, we, you know, help our children um, communicate and understand and be okay with making mistakes and not being perfect and uh, just taking that first step, you know? So for anyone who is listening and, you know, feels like they're not ready yet, or they feel like it's going to be an overwhelming thing, it's really just about taking that one little step and then taking the next one, you know, and, and doing it if you have, to, you know, whatever that pace is for you, just don't stop doing it, you know, like just keep moving forward with it because ultimately you are going to help disrupt a culture of rape, you know, and this patriarchal structure uh, that has been dominating for far too long. And we can only make that change by doing it in whatever way possible, whether that's a big step or a little step, but every little bit is going to help make a shift in our culture. And that's, you know, ultimately how we can start creating consent culture. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for, for taking the time to hang out with me today and, and talk about consent. Um, what are you up to this year? Like what is new for Sarah and comprehensive consent? How can people connect with you and, participate in what you're doing? Um, let's see what's going on for me. So I have boundary setting bootcamp, which is, um, an online course for parents to teach to their kids. It is such a, aside from getting consent skills, it's such a relationship builder because you really get into deep conversations, um, where you get to kind of see how your child's brain works and see how your brain works. Um, I really love that program. And I also have um, a new program coming out, um, which I'm like thinking about how much I'm going to say about it. Uh, I have, I don't know when this episode is dropping, but I have a free webinar on February 7th where I'm going to be announcing it, but it's, it's a, it's a one-on-one program and it's specifically focused on parenting for healthy relationships, which means healthy relationships between the parent and child now for their child and their relationships in the future. I'm so excited for it. Uh, And then I'm always, I'm always around on Instagram at comprehensive consent. So that's where people can definitely find me. 
Yeah, definitely follow on Instagram. I love the content that you put out on a regular basis. Um, it's just really gets you thinking. I mean, I've, uh, you know, I thought I knew all about consent and I'm constantly learning from you. So I really appreciate the work that you're doing and how you do it. You add uh, fun and levity to it, which is, which is needed when we're talking about topics that can feel heavy and they really don't have to be. So um, I'll definitely be linking all of that in the notes. And as soon as you have this new program available, please let me know so I can help to share it as well. Um, it's just such a great resource for so many parents. So definitely check it out. And um, what is your website? It's comprehensiveconsent.com. Is that right? Yep. Awesome. And that's where people can find your uh, Boundary Bootcamp. Thank you so much for having me on. I mean, I don't think there's someone's content who I share more than yours. <laughs> I'm just like, I'm just like, oh, another post. So it's, I really, I love the combination of our work and what it, what it puts out there into the world. Um, I'm, I'm just so lucky to know you and, and thank you for having me on your podcast. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I really do agree. I, I believe that our work really does complement each other and can really help strengthen um, a family's you know, again, I, you know, focus a lot on abuse prevention, but consent is the foundation of that. And so that's where I appreciate so much of your work, which delves into more of those nuances that, um, you know, I really focus more on those foundational pieces. But when you want to deep dive, your work is where I send people to. So I appreciate you for all of that. Um, so for anyone who is listening or watching, please let us know what was your favorite part of this? What was your biggest aha moment or your takeaway? How are you going to actually take action? Like for me, everyone who knows me knows that I need to know what you're going to do with this information. Like don't just absorb it and take it in and listen. And, you know, talking to someone else is, is some action, but how are you actually going to implement this? So let us know, please screenshot it and share it. Tag us on Instagram. Uh, comprehensive consent is your handle. Mine is consent parenting. So tag us and let us know and share it with your community so that others can also become consent empowered and we can all start creating consent culture. So until next time, thanks for tuning in and we'll see you on the next one. Bye-bye. Don't miss the next episode. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast. And I would be so grateful if you took one minute to post a five-star rating and reviews on iTunes so that others can also find this information. I will be shouting you out and thanking you on the next episode. If you found this useful, be sure to share it with others as well. Let's continue to create consent culture one conversation at a time. Stay empowered.